on the corner of 200 South and 1300 East in Salt Lake City, Utah, a small building with a western-looking sign and a dark brown roof houses the violin-making school of America. I've often passed this inconspicuous building and thought, huh, I would love to learn more about that someday. Well, today is that day, and I'm here to take you along with me. My name's Josie Hines, and this is How to Make a Violin. Before we get started, and please bear with me for a second, I'm going to take you through a quick history lesson of the violin. The violin evolved from earlier string and bow instruments like the fiddle, but the very first violin was created in Italy in the early 16th century around the Renaissance. While it took the adjustments of several violin makers, otherwise known as luthiers, to get to the modern violin that we know today, I'm going to point to two luthiers in particular that really revolutionized the violin. Andrea Amati is going to be the first luthier that we look at. Amati is believed to have been born in the early 1500s, and he's also thought to have created some of the very first violins. Fun fact, the oldest surviving violin that we know of today was made by Amati. It dates back to about 1560, and this violin is currently held at the Met. Amati standardized many elements of the violin that we see today. This includes the F-holes on the body of the violin, a violin having four strings, and the scroll, which is a kind of knob at the top of the violin. Amati used an interior mold to shape his violins, which is a practice still used today. This mold also helped him establish the standard proportions for the violin, because the mold allowed for more precise measurements. Later, the luthier Antonio Stradivari was born, around 1650, roughly. Stradivari's innovations created the basis for what is now known as the modern violin. In his lifetime, Stradivari made over 1,000 instruments, and hundreds upon hundreds of violins. Some of the changes that Stradivari made to the violin that we now see in modern violins today includes changing the form of the bridge, which is a piece of wood that holds the strings of a violin up. And he also made the body of the violin shallower, which allowed for a more powerful sound. Stradivari in his time also created his own varnish, which even today has been widely praised. Though many people have tried to replicate this varnish, an exact recipe for it has never been discovered. And that brings us back to today. Now, believe it or not, making a violin is a complicated process. So, to attempt to simplify it, I'm going to break down this episode into four different sections. The first section is making. Oh yeah, um, I can... I'll try and go down the steps from from what I'm I'm remembering. So Gabe Figuration is currently in his first year at the Violin Making School of America. Before coming to the school, he graduated from the University of North Carolina with a degree in music education. Moving over then to the violin making school. Um mm-hmm. I guess just broadly, like what does training there look like? What have you been doing so far? Uh like you come at day one and they kind of walk you through everything your first week because you literally don't know like how to make a violin yeah but it's quite literally you show up there's just wood on your desk with like the student conduct book and stuff and then they say okay we're gonna take this wood and we're gonna start doing things with it (laughs) so like first and foremost you make a template 
And then from that template, you make a mold. Just like Amadi did. Eh? We're already learning. But it is literally, you come into an open workshop. They give you raw wood and you start learning how to transform that wood into different parts of the instrument. To learn more about the violin making process, I also sat down with Efren Degala, the head of restoration at Sugarhouse Violins and a Violin Making School of America alumni. I guess moving from there into new violin making, um, I guess to start really broadly, but what does that process look like from beginning to end? (laughs) You start off with just billets of wood. So the top is made out of spruce. The ribs, back, and neck are generally made from maple, although you do see other things, but I would say uh, the most common wood for that is maple and the uh, fingerboard and then sometimes the pegs and other fittings are made from ebony which is a tropical wood most of what we do especially with uh, a violin is work done by hand even though you you know one can use power tools and i'm not here to say bad things about people who use power tools i use a bandsaw instead of a instead of a big bow saw by hand to rip things in half and stuff and things like that Um, In the Italian tradition, we are often building off of an inside mold, and so the violin does have internal blocks at the top, at the bottom, and in the corners um, that are glued to the mold. You can bend the ribs, and so the ribs are usually approximately one millimeter thick, let's say. So we um, plane that down, we bend those ribs around. and that creates a rib structure. And then in terms of shaping the ribs, I mean, it's like wood and obviously really curvy. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you do ah, that? <laughs> they are bent with heat. So again, okay. they okay. are, um, you know, about plain and or scraped to approximately a millimeter thick. Mm-hmm. And then um, wood can be bent with heat. Okay. Um, and we create what's called a bending iron um, and functionally that is just like a sort of a curved tube it's not a perfect circle all the time but that's basically what it is this is a heated tube um, you get it hot enough to where water will bounce off of it when you drop the little water drops on top it's called the light and frost effect and um, you take a metal strap or something and you bend those ribs around that form it heats up the cellulose in the wood cells enough so that it becomes pliable so that it bends and once it cools the ribs stay the shape approximately that you set it in after creating the rib structure you then move on to the plates of the instrument which is essentially just the front and back pieces of the violin these plates are shaped and arched and then glued to the blocks of the rib structure after that you move on to the neck and scroll are usually one piece, although sometimes people will use two pieces so that they have a hard piece, a harder piece of maple and therefore more stable for the neck and then a slightly softer piece for the scroll for convenience. It's a fairly complex shape to carve. Um, but functionally, it is glued as though it is one piece. That is dovetailed into the top block. Hopefully that all made some sense. As I started working on this project, I did come to the realization that Trying to explain how a violin is made without some sort of visual aid is a little bit challenging, especially if you don't know what all the different parts of a violin are. 
side note, as I was editing all of this together, I did find a YouTube video that does a great job of showing all the different steps of making a violin. It's from a channel called Black Maker, and it's called The Process of Making Violin, South Korean Instrument Master. I'd recommend checking it out to get a visual for what all of this looks like. So, now that the body of the violin is finished, we will now move on to setup. A good setup can make or break an instrument. Like, you can have a great instrument, but if it's set up poorly, it's just it's not going to really do much. Setup is essentially just the finishing touches on a violin. Setup can include fitting tuning pegs, adding strings, fitting a bridge, fitting a sound post, and varnishing. Setup, a lot of that revolves around the bridge and the sound post. The bridge is really important because that's what transfers all of the sound from the strings to the instrument. So, the bridge is a thin piece of wood that sits between the violin's strings and the violin's body. When the violin is played, the bridge transmits the vibration of the strings to the body of the violin. The bridge is also important because it lifts the strings of the violin above the fingerboard. So, the sound post is another piece. It supports and balances a lot of the treble. Okay. I'm going to try to explain to you what this sound post is and what the sound post does. So, the sound post is a piece of wood inside the violin that's held in place by pressure from the top and bottom plates. The sound post sits underneath the treble part of the bridge, which is the side of the bridge that holds up the A and E strings. The A and E strings are the higher two strings of the four on the violin. So, essentially some vocab really quick. Treble basically refers to high notes in music. The sound post is an essential part of the violin because it makes the entire instrument vibrate when these higher two strings are played by transferring the vibrations of these strings to the back plate. So essentially without the sound post's transmission of this vibration, just the top of the instrument would make a sound. It doesn't matter if I'm working on some random you know, factory Suzuki instrument or some of the finest instruments in the world, I will fit a good post. One of the final steps in the violin making process is then varnishing the instrument. Back to Gabe. If you ever get the opportunity to hear an instrument played unvarnished completely, it sounds crazy. Now here, I'm going to operate under the assumption that most of us will not get the opportunity to hear an unvarnished violin being played live. So instead, here are two sound bites from the YouTube channel Helmic Violins. I think it's German, so excuse my pronunciation. The first clip that you'll hear from them is an unvarnished violin being played. here is a clip of a varnished violin being played, but note it is not the same violin as the previous clip. It's, it's a really cool experience, but it's like 
<clears throat> it's much more brash and it sounds like it's it's just there's too much going on like in the high ends and so the varnish kind of helps put like a little envelope over that um acoustically which is pretty cool and i had never really thought about that either until somebody or one of our instructors just made one the wipes had somebody play and it was like whoa that's crazy so varnish also provides a layer of protection to a violin so if it gets scratched it won't necessarily damage the wood itself just the varnish additionally varnish also gives color to a violin now the violin is finished which brings us to the music you know when you have a completed instrument there are lots of things you can do which will make it perform a little bit differently or sound a little bit different but it is always going to have its own native voice no two violins are the same so my first home violin it had a very like it was really really loud and deep and then the one i have now it's it's hard to explain it's a little more reserved that was isabel johnson She's a violin player on the University of Utah Symphony. Remarkably small changes in, say, the proportions of the instrument or the amount of air volume inside, or when we talk about the arch of the top, how high it is, um, how it recurves into itself. Small changes can make an instrument which sounds very masculine or very feminine. Um, You will get different voices from it. One thing that I will often tell people who are trying out instruments or buying instruments, um, your relationship with the instrument is very much interpersonal. It's like working with another human. And this relationship can be many things. You uh, let it have its own personality and you learn to cooperate and What's the word? Compromise. And you learn each other. Um, The bow, to me, this is what I tell players, and I may sound like a fool, the bow to me is an intrapersonal relationship. It needs to act as an extension of self. Wait, why does a violin need a bow anyway? When you pluck an arched instrument, it doesn't have the same kind of sustain that say, a flat-top guitar does, right? That rings for much longer on its own. Uh-huh. Um, the, the violin needs the bow to create sustain instead. Ah, okay. And with that, we've essentially covered what it takes to make a violin. I hope now you can walk away and hear this sound with a little bit more perspective as to what went behind it. Thanks for listening. I'm Josie Hines.